Okay, yeah, firstly, uh, well, first, th if you're new here, uh, thanks for coming to 154, London's first contemporary African art fair. Um, we, oh, forum, yes, Chloe's corrected me. Um, so now we will be hearing from Paul Hewitt. Paul Hewitt is managing director of growth markets at Christie's. Um, he's had a successful track record of developing new markets, and he spent 16 years in the luxury goods industry, building brands such as Hennessy Cognac and Moet Champagne in India, China, Japan, Southeast Asia, before joining Christie's in 1999. Um, can you please all welcome Paul Hewitt? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. It's lovely to be here. Um, and I'm sure, for those of you who weren't in the earlier forum, uh, on behalf of all of us, I'd like to congratulate the 154 team um, for having brought a concept on paper to reality. I think early pioneers are seldom recognised enough, and the effort involved in moving something from a paper concept to a physical reality uh, is enormous. So please, a little clap for everyone to have done that. What I'd like to do in the next 20 minutes or so is to try and give you a framework in which to think about where things may be going in the world of contemporary African art. And to do that, I'm going to draw upon specific examples from the Middle East, and uh, I personally have been involved, and Chris has been involved in the Middle East, and I chose that a little bit because in our uh, treatment of the Middle East, we already have a footprint into... North Africa. I know much of what we're talking about in this forum and going forward will be sub-Saharan Africa, um, but we're also about dialogues and about bridging cultures, and I think that bridging from the Middle East into North Africa provides a nice um, stepping-off point for us into the debate. Uh, you'll all recognise Boetti there, and I'm lucky enough in my job to travel all over the world and to talk to people like yourselves, collectors, institutions, and everywhere else. Uh, had we been in this room in 1995, there was conference talk, talk about an African conference then, uh, the pillars of the art market then were most definitely London, New York, Paris. Since then, a very vibrant art market has emerged in Asia, uh, particularly in Hong Kong, and we ourselves did our first auction in Shanghai at the end of last month. I never cease to be amazed that there are increasingly numbers of dialogues and transactions going on completely outside of those traditional pillars. And what you have are Russians buying passionately into Iranian art. You've got uh, people in Africa, no doubt, investing in George III furniture, etc., etc. And I think it's particularly exciting that with the advent of technology, uh, information, online bidding, and I can only see the speed in the application of these going forward is that actually, uh, cliche as it sounds, we have a truly global market uh, and a global marketplace. And though the identity of the artists, the themes that they explore may be specific to one continent or one country, the marketplace in which they trade, and we were having good discussion about the money side of it earlier, uh, that is now truly global, and that's very much here to stay. So to the point of why now, uh, Africa has, if you look at the telephone industry in, in a Africa, a well-illustrated example, they have intelligently missed the generation of landlines and moved straight into digital age. In the art market, I think that uh, everything bodes well if it continues 
for Africa to miss some of the traditional generations of development. And it may well be uh, a huge pioneer in selling great quantities of very good quality art online. Um, so I'm an optimist, but what I think uh, you'll see from my hypothesis is we need a couple of elements of the metaphorical jigsaw to fall into place and a few guiding hands like people from yourselves to make that happen. So uh, what do we mean, um, who are the players in uh, this emerging growth market scene? Um, these are phrases coined from the banking industry. Many of you were familiar with BRICS, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, and China. Uh, much has been written about it. Um, I'm going to illustrate something with the Middle East. The reality is actually a lot of it comes from the Gulf. Uh, and back to the earlier point, a lot of it is driven by uh, where money and the price of oil and gas is not going down, and the will and the talent to use art to make uh, a somewhat of a, of, a, of a region or a nationalistic statement comes together. And I think there are some interesting things to look at in the Middle East that may play in, in the African scene. Um, the fact that Arab cultures came under um, global scrutiny and a degree of cultural attack post 9-11, from the Middle Eastern example, contemporary Middle Eastern art has played a good role in cultural diplomacy. And that's a theme that we may want to debate on and how that may play in Africa. Um, there are the so-called Next 11. Um, this is driven by economic, um, I think they were called the signets. Someone uh, labeled that phrase. Um, it wasn't Goldman Sachs, but someone would be credited for it. Um, and yes, Africa is very much there. Uh, and as you will see, we've got some numbers uh, coming forward, um, is closing, if there was a gap, is closing it very fast. And you've got a few um, comments here that play to that theme. Um, do we have any social scientists in the house? Any academics? <laughs> Great. Uh, no uh, talk like this is complete without um, a little bit of a social hypothesis. And what you've seen here, this is about uh, motivations for collecting art. Um, here on the left-hand side, you've got people who are pure purely there about the art. It's the aesthetic, the meaning, the relationship with the artists that is everything to them. Uh, on the far right, uh, you've got people whose motivation is purely financial. They look at art as an asset class, God forbid, with no emotional attachment, and they purely buy and sell as they would at a stock and a share. And you've got a group of people in the middle um, who look upon art as maybe a lifestyle, um, accessory, they use it for decorative purposes, they use it to demonstrate social status. And I'm not saying one is better than the other, but in my job I find it very useful when you start a discussion with somebody, mentally place them somewhere on this continuum, and people move at different times. But what it does do is inform the script and the dialogue. It's no point in talking to a passionate artist who is more concerned about the medium than you do about the uh, financial return they may get from the artist. Equally well, a decorator is not so interested in the uh, technicalities of the production, the art process. You get my meaning, but take this in your mind, and particularly as you walk around um, the forum and the fair in the next few days, and maybe you're going wider afield in London, um, play the game with yourself. Am I talking to a fellow collector, someone with broad interest, or someone who's deep into a specific um, area of it. Um, so there's probably a little bit small, but um, thanks to Capgemini, these are uh, data produced up until 2012, um, and they're going to give us two things. 
The first one shows us where uh, the shape and location of where money is held. Uh, and I don't know if you can see it, but take it from me. In 2012, uh, Africa, uh, the wealth of the African continent grew by 11.5%. Um, it was very fast growing, only just behind um, Asia. And a lot of Asia is just driven by China, where I think the growth in Africa is more, more widespread across many countries. So Africa, uh, the economy, creation of wealth is going fast. And as you were saying earlier, traditionally, art has followed the money, um, and sometimes money follows the art. Uh, but all the indices are looking right economically for an interest in art to take off in the African subcontinent. But if you drill down into the data, uh, the next piece is... Uh, and again, I don't know if you can see it, but it's, the, it's, it's this line looking under the African and Middle Eastern column. Uh, you have got from accurate research, uh, this is amongst high net worth individuals. High net worth individuals, and albeit this aggregated to Africa and the Middle East, they put 17% of their disposable income into art, above the global average of 16.9. Well done, Africa. Well done, Middle East. You're right there above it. And more particularly, you see in the light blue shading below, um, again, aggregated for Middle East and Africa, 24% um, of the disposable income goes on to luxuries. What am I saying here? Uh, we see from an objective data source taken against high net worth individuals, already the behaviors are established with residents in Africa to put significant quantities of their money into art, and into luxury. Um, and I think that's very telling. And um, you can see, in fact, it's almost disproportionate spending to some of the more mature markets uh, like North America and Japan. That's got to be good for the growth of interest and spending in contemporary African art. So let's move on uh, and look in a little bit more detail um, at the uh, Middle East as an example. Um, I don't know if anybody recognizes this piece. Um, it's an institutional piece that was um, exhibited in the uh, Istanbul Biennale a couple of years ago, um, but is by a Saudi artist, um, uh, Abdel Nasser Ghanem. Um, we happened to sell it uh, in Dubai in 2011, and in fact, it was bought by an institution. But uh, this is fairly typical um, of some of the work coming out, the contemporary work coming out of the Middle East. Uh, produced by artists, commissioned for um, institutions, and um, it's a dove of peace, as you can see underneath. Remember I alluded to this uh, cultural diplomacy piece out of Middle East. A lot of these themes uh, come out in the Middle East, strong calligraphic elements. Um, and in fact, on the right, we have uh, a piece coming up in um, uh, later on. But I think it gives you an idea of what's happening in the contemporary scene um, out of the Middle East. What factors uh, do we need to get? First and foremost, and um, if I sound evangelical, I apologize, but I think it's absolutely critical. Um, you need to have art of good quality, quality that will uh, transcend boundaries, will, will transcend generations, and uh, people like ourselves, but curators of museums and artists, and we had some very qualified ones earlier, institutions like the Tate Investing, will help give private individuals and collectors an indication of what is good. 
but there's a simple checklist here. Um, you want to be uh, always looking out for not only young, um, exciting talent, but talent who also um, is adding to the sense of quality of it. Um, there is a danger sometimes that when markets take off, you get a proliferation of young artists um, and they use all sorts of means, oh, not necessarily themselves, but artistic empresarios to make a market uh, move up more quickly. There can be speculative activity. And personally, I don't think that's terribly helpful. So I think you want to make sure that good artists, and congratulations again to the selection upstairs, because I think we are seeing some of the very best of the artists coming out of the African continent. And that needs a strong and a brave curatorial eye to be exposing the best artists coming forward. Um, they need to be important pieces by those artists. One is looking for rare pieces, one with distinctive narrative, coming in good condition. Uh, ideally, if art starts to trade hands on the secondary market, um, if the work has been held and adopted early on by a collector, um, Charles Saatchi would be a name if we're in London, but there are many uh, collectors institutions who've been huge backers early on of African art, and it would be good to look at work that had been marked by their provenance, etc., etc. But more particularly, what you need in that space, uh, you need galleries, and it's great to see that there are galleries already representing primary African art, and Africa's uh, uh, artists uh, and galleries coming not only out of the, the continent, but also Parisian, London, German, and other galleries here represented. Um, you need good critics. Have we got any art critics in the room? Yes, thank you. Your critical voice and the opinion and the people who follow you uh, is absolutely an important part of the mix. And uh, journalists, I'm sure there's some journalists in the room. Uh, I think we all welcome and support your comments on it and be as open, be as truthful, as be as provocative as you can, because it needs that uh, to get African contemporary art into the mainstream debate to get it there. Um, the financial environment is very important. And by that, uh, I mean, yes, you need people who are collecting and backing, and maybe it's corporations who've made money uh, in, you know, I don't want to get into blood diamonds debate and exploiting oil and other things. Um, but actually, give these guys a little bit of a break. If they are bringing money and the attention of the global collecting community into the marketplace of African art, give them the credit for that. They are effectively patrons. And if you look through the whole history of art, uh, from, the, well, you know, from the Egyptians, the Romans, the Renaissance, the Medici, and everybody else, artists need to eat, they need to live, they need to buy materials. And who does that traditionally? You need a patron. In the 21st century, the shape of the patron and the way they make their money and the way they've made their money and how that money, money crosses boundaries. And I hope you know we're not contravening anti-money laundering laws and dark money and everything else. Uh, but you do need financial backing. And to think that African art will grow and develop and survive um, on thin air, I'm afraid is naive. Let's dispel that myth. Uh, there needs to be money there. And my, I hope that the money arrives with the sincerity and everything else. Evangelical rant over on that, but um, it's an important element of it. Uh, you need publications, you need magazines. Uh, in my view, you need auction, um, because I think it shows a transparent marketplace. 
um, and you need international representation. Um, the gist of my hypothesis is what, when a marketplace really takes off, you have as many elements as you can of this. It's a little bit like a, a solar constellation, if you can imagine it. They all need to get, or as many elements as possible, need to fall into line for that perfect moment. And 154 in London is a great moment in time for many of these elements to fall in line. I'm not saying it's for the first time, and I certainly hope it's not for the last time, but if you've this year got 10 of these elements to fall perfectly into the line and moving in the same direction, if next year it's 14, 16, 18, you get my message. I think the future for what can happen in contemporary African art looks very bright. Um, so it's a degree of change in circumstance that moves it forward. Um, why also am I optimistic about African contemporary? And I was having a brief chat with somebody else earlier saying that the traditional African, the tribal arts, have been uh, sold. There's been huge interest from uh, former colonial powers. There's been a marketplace in Belgium. There's been a marketplace, particularly in Paris, from West African colonialism, etc., etc. The reality is, uh, in parallel to a sense of the economic rise that I've, I've mentioned, and all these things of constellation, globally there is a momentum behind um, the, the whole contemporary movement. Um, it used to be about old masters, um, and these days it's all about pop art and Liechtenstein and everything moving forward. So, why contemporary? Um, it's accessible, it's affordable often many times. Um, there's a finite supply of old art. It may sound a truism, but uh, you know there is less and less uh, Egyptian, well, Egyptian antiquities by definition are finite, but you know, there is not going to be uh, early tribal art you know, made again. It may change hands, but the supply is finite. And so you can see, um, it's fashionable. Um, people loved minimalism. They love to, you know, decorative styles now are uncluttered. Um, and more particularly, um, global art fairs, which we'll come on to, um, are really a great forum for the gathering of contemporary collectors, contemporary galleries going forward. Um, simple graph, don't want to do you with numbers, but basically uh, that shows you uh, on a, in fact, that's aggregated auction sales in the contemporary art category, Chris's and Sotheby's for the last two years. There was a big blip uh, following the economic crisis um, in 2008, 2009, but you can see it's recovered. That's a 2011 figure. And I don't know if any of you have been reading the predictions for what's going to happen in the New York contemporary art sales next month. Um, people are expecting, buoyed by confidence in a return in the global economy, um, that contemporary prices will continue to rise. Art fairs. Um, I'm sure none of you, this is your first art fair. Um, art fairs have been the great phenomena uh, of the last... Uh, 10 years, uh, it's no coincidence we're in London Freeze Week, we've got 154. Um, there were two uh, art fairs in Istanbul within the last month, we've got Miami, Basel coming on, etc., etc. Um, art fairs have not only become uh, a fantastic way to sell art and promote art, um, but they also become uh, huge convening platforms. They're a little bit like sort of transportation hubs. People fly in, uh, maybe they've got common interest already seeing friends, but businesses, corporations have conferences, etc., uh, etc. Et um, and I think 
that um, by this art fair, art forum associating itself with Freeze, is a really smart move. And I was listening to a little bit of the last uh, panel earlier, is to debate what next. Um, there are great art fairs and biennales already in the African continent. Um, guys, you have options. Uh, I don't think it matters. Uh, but make life easier for yourself. Piggyback where you've already got a concentration of global contemporary art collectors coming. Let them do the heavy lifting for you in bringing the clients to you, to your marketplace for a bit. It doesn't matter if it's Johannesburg, it's Dakar, it's Paris, it's London. Um, but, you know, do the groundswell and make your identity and you can have it as a mobile art fair. Um, you know, and invited, we'd love to give our views on that. But I think it's, it's smart what you've done, what you're doing now. Um, I plug patrons. Uh, many of you all know these. Uh, per Lam on the far right-hand side, Sheikh Mayasa, uh, Rami in Dubai. Um, you've got Jeff Coons and others. Um, a little bit of advice. Uh, collectors, art fair organizers, and others, go and find your patrons. Give them a big hug. Get them involved. Tell them you respect them. Um, and look to them to get even more engaged. And if you can get monogamous, wealthy patrons who are supporting your cause for a period of time, you'll have done even better. But that's a pretty critical variable to get inside. Um, and throwing out free ideas um, for one of your next um, forums, why don't you get a discussion going between informed patrons who've proven success in another contemporary field and what lessons can you give and learn for the support that patrons can give to African art. Uh, and hats off to the Tate, who were represented here earlier. I think the Tate Acquisition Committee of having got an African Acquisition Committee together is great, but go and get two other you know, major institutions globally to get patrons together. Um, anybody recognize these? Lou Vapodebi uh, and I am paying in Doha. Um, the Middle East, going back to my example, uh, it may be an exception because they have been so lucky to have their constellation, uh, everything has fallen into place, and they have been able to get vision of national leadership and money behind them, and then they've gone down the celebrity architect route and everything else. These are great case studies. I'm not necessarily advocating you take these ideas verbatim uh, into the contemporary African context but I think there's some useful lessons to learn. And you know what? Institutions are really flattered to be asked for their advice. If it hasn't been done already, reach out to them, like your patrons, hug those institutions, go and steal their staff if they'll you know, let them go, do secondments, offer training like artists in residences, and learn everything you can from those institutions. Um, so, nearly there. Where are we? Uh, on Africa, um, you don't need me to tell you, but um, fortunes are being created every day um, in Africa, um, in oil and gas, um, particularly in Nigeria, but many other countries. And the most exciting thing, fortunes are being created finally in Africa by African people, not just by international conglomerates and neo-Chinese imperialism and all the other things that come on. And I think that the, the economic platform is ripe for it. Um, we do have, I'm pleased to say it, Chris is already high net worth individuals, private individuals from Nigeria, from South Africa, and indeed from North Africa, 
who were already buying luxuries and putting money into that art space. And if you can get one or two uh, early adopters and bellwether clients who are happy to share those experiences, they set the fashion, um, other people will follow them. Um, who is the Roman Abramovich of the African contemporary art world? Um, because if that person is prepared to put themselves out into the public domain, uh, be talked to, be recognised as doing it, um, I think it makes the, the journey easier for the development of contemporary African art. Um, you've seen the bit about the economy, um, and there are, there's a fantastic domestic auction house already um, in Nigeria. I think in that one country, from my external observation, uh, if we take the, this lining up the constellation on a one country situation as opposed to a continent, after South Africa, I probably see um, it most polarised and, and to take off in, in, in Nigeria. Um, so what I hope I've tried to show you is that the, there's some lessons we can take from what happened. There's a little bit of a track record and a theory what happened in uh, the Middle East and Asia that we can learn for um, in the African situation. And that just shows you uh, the key players that there have been uh, in the African art scene. I'm going to move it forward fairly quickly, just in the interest of time. Uh, I am pleased to say already the very best quality African artists, El Natsui and others, Christofili, are already represented in Christie's global post-war and contemporary art auctions. So guys, at the very best of the field, it's already out there. I'm pleased to say this week in London, a blatant plug for her, Saturday at Christie's and on Friday evening, we have great examples of contemporary African art being sold in commercial live auctions in this very city. I think that's a strong testament to saying uh, it's all there. Uh, and I'm pleased to say that we um, have already in some of our um, other auctions um, in the Middle East, Iranian, Turkish got things from North Africa, my point about Moroccan and Algerian. Um, there are lessons that can be learned in sub-Saharan Africa from what's happened in, in North Africa. Sorry, it's a bit of a gabble at the end. Um, questions or do we need to move on? <laughs> <laughs>